Let me pray, and then uh, we'll continue uh, with our time in God's Word. Father, we are grateful that you have brought us to the knowledge of Jesus, who lived a perfect life, died in our place, and rose again that we might have life. And so, God, we thank you. We thank you that you're an invitational God, that you invite us to come to you and discover the life that you designed for us in the very beginning and day by day and into eternity. And so, Lord, would you tear down the presuppositions of our minds that maybe thinks we have, uh, you know, the Bible figured out or the presuppositions of our heart that say, I've got it, I'm doing that. Lord, no one in the room is there yet because you're not done with any of us, God. You're not done with me. And so, Lord, may we receive your word with hunger and humility because you are a God who loves to pour out more of yourself as we seek your face. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This morning, I want to talk to you about the subject of pushing pause, all right? Pushing pause. And just to, just to get us in here today, um, I want to ask you the question, how good are you at pushing pause? And you may be already on the same page that I'm not talking about finding the remote and, you know, pushing pause on that Netflix episode or, you know, tapping your screen to pause your favorite song. I'm talking about pushing pause in your life. Having proper rhythms of work and rest. You see, we live in a culture. Boston is an amazing city, but Boston is filled with some of the hardest working, most ambitious people on the planet. People don't come to Boston to school or live in Boston to work, to be mediocre in their fields. We're here because we want to make a difference with our lives, a difference in our world, and that's a very, very good thing. And yet, we are a culture who does work and busy and activity really, really well, but we don't always do rest really well. And so we can think about this and just kind of frame it in two categories of people, two opposite extremes. And, and my assumption is probably for most of us, we, we fall somewhere uh, in between these extremes, maybe not for you, but, 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 but just think about it. Um, we probably are living life between two opposite extremes. One is life is a whirlwind. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's just going nonstop. It doesn't seem to slow down. Life is crazy. It's a whirlwind. And then you have on the opposite end of the extreme, I don't know if anybody's here today, but life is slow motion. You know, just really, really palatable, really, really digestible, really, really slow. And so if, if you experience life as a whirlwind, then I want to coin a new term today, okay? We're going to call you a blurb body, all right? A blurb body. Don't hate, all right? I just made it up this week, all right? But, but, but a blurb body are, are people that experience life as a 
blur, right? And so life, life is a blur where, where work and family and friends and social activities and adulting and more work leads to this life as a whirlwind. You barely have time to breathe. You love getting things done. You love your work so much. You're so passionate about your work, and passion for work is a great thing, but you're so passionate that you consistently work after work. Work for you has maybe become the acceptable addiction. You don't know when to turn it off. You have trouble turning it off. You let your activity become your identity. And when you're not overworking, perhaps you're serving and volunteering all of your spare time. And, and so blur bodies need a vacation, right? They need to learn to rest. And on the opposite end of the extreme then is, are not blur people, but slow people. All right, slow people. And I'm not talking about intellectually, all right? I'm talking about just the pace of life that they're super comfortable with a slow pace. Life is great. Just relax. Don't be so uptight. Things will get done when they get done. And so for slower people, they love to take all their work breaks, right? Anyone struggle with taking all your work breaks? Well, these, these slow people don't. They, they love to take their work breaks. They're not driven to work harder or longer. They're not guilty of workaholism, but they're potential, potentially guilty of laziness. And so slow people need not to learn how to rest, but probably how to work. But here's, here's something that you need to watch out for. Okay, don't miss this. Maybe you land on that side of the spectrum, no hate because, you know, both extremes are, are not healthy. But, but even if you land on this side of the, the, the spectrum, you may be resting a lot, but you may not be resting as God has designed for you to rest. And so what we need is to see that God does not want us to live on either end of the spectrum. Made in his image, God made us to work and work hard, even really hard. But God also made us to rest and to rest really well. And so the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 2 present a countercultural proposal for Bostonians especially. All right? We need to learn to push pause. What's going on here in Mark chapter 2, just to give you a bit of context before we get to the text, um, Jesus is having a clash after clash after clash with the religious bureaucracy of his day, known as the Pharisees, the religious leaders who often tried to uh, add to God's ways and God's plans, and, and, and we're going to talk about that in a bit. But what, what's happening here is uh, they're, they're upset with Jesus because he forgave people of their sin. He's God, by the way. I had a conversation with a, a gentleman in Maine who's a Muslim, and we were talking about Jesus. And I said, well, what do you make of Jesus, uh, the good prophet, uh, who's actually forgiving people of their sin? Only God does that. He's like, it blew his mind. 
And so the, 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 the Pharisees didn't like that he was forgiving people of their sin. They didn't like that he was a friend of sinners. Next section. I guess they failed to look in the mirror. And then he has trouble with the way that his disciples practice fasting. They're not practicing fasting in the ways that the Pharisees prescribed. And so those are three clashes. Now we get to four and five here in this story. They're upset with what Jesus is up to on Saturdays. And so let's read here in Mark chapter 2, verse 23 through 28, this fourth clash that he has with the religious leaders. It says this, One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Jesus said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. I want to teach you three truths, three truths about rest here today, all right? Number one, rest is a gift from God, all right? Rest is a gift from God. What's happening in this story is that Jesus, an itinerant, itinerant preacher, was moving about. Uh, we've seen through Galilee, going to the various towns, as John even taught us last week. And uh, as he was moving through on a Saturday, he and his disciples were hungry. And so as they're passing through these grain fields, they start plucking some of the heads of grain because they're hungry. And they grab a little snack, And the Pharisees, who were also presumably traveling with them, point out to Jesus, hey, Jesus, what's going on here? It's not time for a snack. It's Saturday. I mean, maybe if they would have packed their snack, it would be totally fine because God wants us to eat. But but they had, we're going to see this in a bit, they had made these additional rules that said, hey, this is how you practice the Sabbath. And one of the restrictions was against reaping. All right, so, so they viewed the disciples as reaping. In other words, they viewed them as, are you ready for this? Plucking heads of grain was working. And so why, why were the Pharisees so concerned about the Sabbath? Well, part of their concern was legitimate because the Sabbath was given to the people of God to reflect God himself. The word Sabbath is, is the same in Hebrew. It means to stop or desist. It means to push pause in the rhythms of one's work life just to rest before God. Adam Mabry in his uh, excellent little book, The Art of Rest, we have it for you on the resource table if you want to grab it after the service. This is how he defines Sabbath. He says that Sabbath is a time to rest Holy to the Lord, it is time that is given to God to receive refreshment from God. And so, and so don't, don't miss this. 
Sabbath is a time to rest. It's time that God has given us. It's holy to him. And we receive refreshment from him as we rest. And so why was this so important? Well, we know from the Ten Commandments that the Fourth Commandment says to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy, right? This was one of the regular rhythms for the, 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 the nation of Israel. But, but more than that, okay, you can actually, did you know that you can actually describe the entire story of the Bible from the theme of rest? God created the world in six days. We can have a debate about whether those were 24-hour literal time periods or whether those were larger epochs of time. Uh, great scholars and theologians disagree upon that. But the point is that God made the world in a period of time, and then on the seventh day, to culminate his creation, he rested. And he made us in his image to enjoy his rest. So the first part of the story is that God made the world and everything in it, and he gave people the opportunity to enjoy him in his place of rest, the Garden of Eden. But the next part of the story in Genesis chapter 3 is where things go awry. Adam and Eve sin against God. They rebel against him, and the consequences of their sin is not just physical death and spiritual death, but part of that spiritual separation from the presence of God is being removed from the place of rest. But God being the gracious God that he is, as early as the moment he dismisses them from the garden, makes a provision for there to be one who would come, born of an offspring, Jesus Christ himself, the very Son of God, would enter time and space to restore us and redeem us, to bring back the physical rest and the spiritual rest, the rest in our souls that God made us for in the very beginning. And so salvation in Christ is a salvation to enjoy rest before God. And oh, by the way, new creation, creation, fall, redemption, new creation, restoration, that this is where the whole thing is going. That Jesus will come back one day and he will bring his rest with him and we will dwell with him forever in a place of rest. And so what we need to see here is that The Pharisees' concern for what was going on on the Sabbath was not illegitimate, but their application was, and perhaps their motives as well. And so Jesus responds to their objection. In verse 24, they say, hey, why are are they doing? Why are your disciples not doing what is lawful on the Sabbath? What does Jesus say in verses 25 and 6? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. Let me explain what's going on here. Jesus points back to a story that these religious leaders would have been very familiar with in 1 Samuel chapter 21. You see, God had declared that David would be the next king of Israel, but he did so while there was another king in place, King Saul. 
And so King Saul and David constantly had this, this friction because King Saul knew that the people loved David and that David was going to be the next king. And so what did Saul do? He tried to take him out time and time and time again. So in 1 Samuel chapter 21, guess what David's doing? David is on the run. He's running for his very life, he and his companions with him. And because they're on the run, that meant they did not always have provisions and food. And so they make their way to the city of Nob, where Abathar, the high priest, is, is, is uh, running uh, the, the, the center of worship there. And David goes to him and he says, my people are, are hungry. Do you have anything to eat? And Abathar says that all that I have to offer you is this special sacred bread known as the bread of the presence. It was only for the priest to eat. It would be changed out. Twelve loaves would be changed out on a rhythm, and it was not to be eaten but by anyone but the priests. But Abathar bends to David's request. Why? Because Abathar understood the spirit of the law was not so that people would starve instead of eating bread, right? And so this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, while it's not customary or lawful, David and his men ate the bread because God cares about their physical health more than this ceremonial ritual on this occasion. So, so, so this, is, this is how Jesus is, is pushing back against this question of his disciples plucking heads of grain and grabbing a snack. But there's something deeper going on here I don't want you to miss. Jesus was, was so smooth in how he interacted with people to help them see the folly of their views or their ways. And so what Jesus is doing here is actually exposing their idolatry. Let me show you what I mean. The Pharisees came up with ways to add to God's rules or expectations. This, this is known as, maybe you've heard in the church before, legalism, all right? Legalism adds requirements to what God has said. The Pharisees were so good at this that they actually created 39 ways to practice the Sabbath. Sounds super restful, huh? Make, make, make sure you don't do this and don't do that and don't do this and don't do that and don't, times 39. And so what, what the Pharisees were doing, think about it, to add to God's words is essentially idolatry, right? If, if God has not said it, but we say that God should do it, then what we're doing is taking his place and putting ourselves in control. But what is worse is not just that they were changing what God has said and putting extra stipulations on people, but these extra stipulations on people were actually designed to change how people related to God. So they were adding requirements to the lives of the people so that they were teaching them that Really how we have a relationship with God is based on our performance. We perform our way to acceptance and approval. And Jesus doesn't like this one bit because he knows that God is a loving father 
And then God relates to us on the only way that he can relate to us, which is his love and his mercy and his grace. And so by their very rules and restrictions, the Pharisees were making rest a God, a way to 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 God's approval. But rest is not God. God is God. And so he, he exposes their idolatry through their uh, legalistic teaching. But then, I love this, uh, not only did he correct their doctrine, but he did so by talking about their hero. And in doing so, as Adam points out in his book, they, he was exposing their sense of Jewish na- nationalism, okay? The, the Jews tended to be very ethnocentric. In other words, it was all about them and their people, and oftentimes, not all the people, but oftentimes, especially these leaders, would look down on those who were not of their ethnicity. So what does Jesus do? the smooth operator that he is. He could have chosen other examples, but he goes straight to their hero, David, and says, your hero broke your rules. Adam says in his book, King David was to the Pharisees what George Washington is to American patriots. Saying to them, your own hero broke your own Sabbath rules was like revealing that Washington had warm feelings for the British. Jesus was so smooth. He was so wise. He knew how to get to the heart of people to correct their views and to correct their practices. And so he exposes their idolatry on, on multiple levels, the way they were making rules before God, the way they were uh, seeking to elevate themselves, their nation. But, but he goes on, and this is just too, too good to, 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 to not uh, cover here. In chapter 3, he talks about how that, that they were so concerned with this meticulous rule-keeping on the Sabbath that they elevated it above their care for people. I mean, that should be obvious from the conversation about food, but then it gets really uh, next level in chapter 3 when we see Jesus in the synagogue with this man with a withered hand. Okay, so look at this. It says in Mark, in Mark chapter 3, and again, Jesus entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. He couldn't use his hand. Try going a day without using your hand. And the Pharisees, they're watching. They're watching Jesus to see. They're just waiting for him to stumble, waiting for another opportunity to jump on him, to tear him down in the sight of others. They watched to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And Jesus said to them, to everyone in in the synagogue, including these leaders, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them. Imagine this, Jesus looks around at them with anger, and grief, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. 
You see, the Pharisees were elevating their own rules above the cares and concerns and needs of actual people. And Jesus exposes them for what they're worth in these moments. And it sums it up in verse 27 of chapter 2 when he says, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so to, to, to put that another way, what Jesus is saying is that God has given you a day of rest, not so this day of rest would become a burden on your back to weigh you down. He's given you a day of rest as a gift. So the third truth I want you to see is that rest is a gift from God to receive more of God. The man man was not made for the Sabbath, but he says in the first part of that verse, the Sabbath was made for man. And so what I want to ask you this morning is that, like, do you believe that? Do you believe that God gave Sabbath rest to you as a gift? Do you believe that God knows best? Do you believe that he wants you to experience rest? And you say, well, Tanner, uh, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe I need to grow in that. But what does it look like? Let's remember Adam's definition about Sabbath. He says that Sabbath is a time to rest, holy to the Lord. It is time that is given to God to receive refreshment from God. Now, I need to be crystal clear here. When we're talking about Sabbath, Sabbath was Saturday for the Jews, right? It was a time to rest and worship before God and not do any work. And so there are actually Christians today who are Sabbatarians, all right? And so for them, Sabbath is Saturday. And they worship on Saturday and they don't do any work on Saturday. Then there are other Christians who believe that when Jesus showed up and he rose again, that the Sabbath, the Saturday Sabbath was transferred into a Sunday Sabbath. And so you worship on Sunday, you don't do any work on Sunday, and that's how you keep the Sabbath. But we at Redemption Hill, we are non-Sabbatarians. We don't believe that Saturday is the Sabbath. We don't believe Sunday is the Sabbath. You say, well, Tanner, what's going on here? What are you talking about? We believe that Jesus is our Sabbath. That rest is found in him. There are only two references to the Sabbath after the Gospels in the whole New Testament. And one of them is right here that makes this very point. Okay, Colossians chapter 2. What does Paul say there? He says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of, are you ready, food and drink. We talked about that in August. Food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Why? Here's why. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Listen, everything in the Old Testament is pointing us to Jesus. John chapter 2, tear down this temple, I'll rebuild it in three days. What are you talking about, Jesus? 
I'm the temple. I am the greater sacrifice. I am your rest. So, you can say, well, Tanner, I, I hear that. Like, my soul finds rest in Jesus, and God made me to experience rhythms of work and rest. So, what does this look like if Saturday's not a Sabbath and Sunday's not a Sabbath, but Jesus is our Sabbath? Then, what does that mean for my everyday life? And I think what it means is this, is that we, we take the wisdom of God's word and we see that there are healthy rhythms of work and rest. And so we actually practice that and schedule that into our lives. It may not be Saturday or Sunday. Your, your day to push pause may be Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday. In Jesus, there is freedom. Imagine living life free. And yet there's so much wisdom in scheduling rest. And so just, just, just to, to put this in super simple encouragement today, okay? What we see here, if the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, that God has given it to us as a gift to receive refreshment from him, to receive more of him. If that is the case, then we need to schedule rest on the regular, all right? So, so, so it's not just about one day a week. Let's start with every day. Can we just start with scheduling rest every day of our, of our lives? And when I talk about schedule rest, I actually mean scheduling rest. I mean getting out your calendar, however you do your calendar, you know, and finding time in your day to push pause before God so that you can enjoy more of God. For me, this, and I think it's so important, I'm a super big advocate of saying, like, I'm going to start my day with God. Maybe you're not as fallen as I am. Maybe you don't, you know, maybe you just wake up, you're super righteous, super focused on God. You don't need to, like, pray or get into the word. But for me, just me, myself, and I, all right, I need to start my day with God. And so that's the time I push pause. But it's not the only time that I seek to push pause. I try to find other times where I stop to pray, stop to read the word, sing a song. Pastor Reddy practices what uh, those in, in, in the church of, 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 of previous centuries have coined the daily office. If you ask Pastor Reddy what this looks like, he'll tell you that at 6, 12, and 6, he pauses before God just to pray, just to recenter his thoughts on who God is. And so we schedule it daily, but we also schedule it weekly. That's that, it's not Saturday. It's not, but just, I think it's so wise to schedule one day of rest where you're not working beyond your work or you're not even loading your day with doing all kinds of house chores. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I know we have things that we need to do, but, but a true day of rest, a true day to unplug and just be replenished in who we are before God. And then only scheduling daily and weekly rest, but even yearly rest. And I don't know how much vacation time you have or what this can look like for you. But, uh, you know, I know some people have vacation in their work and sometimes they don't even take it or take all of it. And what a shame. Because we need healthy rhythms of work and rest. So you say, Tanner, help me out with what this can look like and and give me some motivation. Like, what what are the benefits what are, what are the benefits? Pastor John's going to be so proud of me here because he talked about knowing your why and what's your why and living your why. Okay, so let me give you your why for resting before God, all right? Number one, 
Practice rest so that you can receive more of God. The primary purpose of our rest is to receive more of God. Rest should be cultivating worship in our lives. I love what Adam says in his book. The art of rest is about learning how to rest with Jesus, not from Jesus. Catholic theologian Leonard Dewan says, to fail to see the value of simply being with God and, are you ready, and doing nothing is to miss the heart of Christianity. To be with Jesus and do nothing. Just to be with him. Just to be in the presence of God. Just to fix your eyes on him. I mean, why was, why was Jesus waking up? We saw it last week. Why was he, was he, I mean, those three phrases, those two word phrases, very early, still dark, desolate place. They, they rock my soul. If Jesus needed that, how much more do I need to get out of the place of distraction into silence and solitude, which is super hard to come by in the city of Boston. And yet, I would pose to you that you can say, oh, I live in Boston, I gotta take the tea, my life is so busy, I can't find any time. Meet with me for 15 minutes, I bet I can find you some time to get to a silent, solitary, desolate place. And I don't say that with, hopefully, arrogance as much as a passion, a passion to see you practice the presence of God to just drown out the distractions and to, to focus in on him. I mean, this is, why, this is why worship is so important. When we come and worship, what are we doing? When we sing these songs and when we peer into God's book and see his heart here, what we're doing is we're shifting our vision. We're shifting our focus again onto him. And it's in that place that God does his good work. Listen, if you think rest in Christ is just about getting some physical energy, you're just now learning what rest is about. It's holistic health, holistic rest. Did you know that God cares about your emotions? He cares about your emotions. So, so in, that, in that quiet place, we have time to reflect we have time to hear the voice of God from his word and as the Holy Spirit speaks to us and we can turn over our anxieties before God in prayer. As 1 Peter 5 says, cast all of your anxieties on me because I care for you. And so when we get in that secret place and we rest before God, our anxiety decreases and our joy increases because God is our exceeding joy. Jesus is our joy. And so you say, well, Tanner, get practical. What, what might rest look like? And I've already given some of this away, but when you rest, pray. Practice prayer. Read the Bible. I love how Adam puts it in his book. He says, wander through a book of the Bible in deep interest. Deep interest. Like, like this, this is a treasure that you'll never reach the bottom of. And so, you know, like 10 minutes in the morning is not wondering. It's like blurring through. 
probably for most of it. And I, hey, listen, if you're just now starting to read the Bible and 10 minutes is an awesome step for you, then we are so fired up about those 10 minutes. You keep doing your 10 minutes until God takes you to 12 minutes. That's not to make anybody feel guilty, but the point is that when we carve out time to rest before God, we can really spend time in prayer, really spend time digging into the word. We can walk with God and write it down, journaling. I mean, journaling was something that I found very difficult to practice until these last kind of two and a half years of personal revival for me. I just want to walk with God and write it down, see what he's doing, write out my thoughts and and actions and emotions before God. And then I think as we push pause, it's good to push play and sing before God as we spend time with him. And so first and foremost, the first reason, the, the why behind this what is to experience more of God, but then not only just more of God in you, but more of God in your relationships. More of God in your relationships. When we regularly practice rhythms of rest, We are freed up to deepen our relationships. Someone once said this. Parents have too many tomorrows. Daddy, can we? Tomorrow. Hey, do you think we could? Tomorrow. I really would love? Tomorrow. Sometimes kids need to hear tomorrow because they'll ask you for 45 things in the same day, right? But if we are broken record tomorrow and tomorrow never comes, shame on us. When we carve out time to rest, not always working after work, not working every day, We have time to invest relationally. I'm telling you, when you learn to rest daily and weekly, you are going to discover that your ability, not only to be emotionally healthy, so when you have a conversation, you can make eye contact and be fully present in front of someone in a conversation. It will change your relationships to be fully present is to be a person that loves best. This comes when our souls are at rest. We're not distracted with a thousand things and all of the, the, the emotions and the, and the pieces that are running through our minds. We're just fully present for this person that God's put before us, be it our family, our friends, or whatever, whoever they may be. So rest gives us more of God in us. It gives us more of God in our relationships and then it also gives us more of God in our experiences. And this is super important too. Did you know that God made an amazing world for us to enjoy? And so when we, when we push pause, part of that is to actually heighten our sense of enjoyment in this good world that God has made. You might find that as your, your, your mental and your emotional and your relational and your spiritual uh, health 
increases through these rhythms of rest, you might find yourself even laughing more. What an amazing thought. I mean, just if you want to see how, I mean, this is true for me, but like we're all human beings here. God made us to enjoy life, to laugh, to have a good time. And so just if you want to see how healthy you are, just, just consider like in the last week, how much have I laughed? How frequent is there a smile on my face? This might tell you something about your heart before God. And so uh, to, to practically, we think about relationships, we're talking about carving out quality time, like scheduling it, quality time with people. Date your wife, date your husband, date your kids. Parker, we going on a date soon, okay? Love it. Thank you, God. Hope I didn't embarrass you, Parker. I probably did, sorry. You tell me what you want to do. I'll try not to say tomorrow. Okay. All right. So, so carving out quality time in our relationships, but then what does this look like practically in terms of our experiences? It may be as simple as enjoying a good meal. It, it, it may be pure recreation. I mean, just going out and having fun. My parents were here this past week, and so on Sunday after church, we just went to the preseason Celtics game, and we had a blast. Recreate, avocate. Avocate is doing a hobby that is not related to your actual work. So maybe, maybe I don't know what you'd like to do, gardening or, 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 you know, some kind of, you know, maybe you play music on the side and you just want to go do that and enjoy whatever it may be, but, but, but carving out that time to enjoy more of God in your experiences. And then, and then finally, and here's, here's the irony, okay? Are you ready for this? When we practice rhythms of rest from our work, we will actually enjoy more of God in our work. This is the irony. When we get better at rest, we will get better at our work. Why is this? Well, well, let me give you two thoughts here. Number one, when we rest, we release control in our lives. And so uh, Pete Scazzaro in his book Emotionally Healthy spirituality says this, the core spiritual issue in stopping revolves around trust. Will God take care of us and our concerns if we obey him by stopping to rest? One reason you don't take a day off is because you don't trust God with your work. You think that if you work harder that things will go better, but you are setting aside what God has said to do. And we're all learning to get better at this. Resting reminds us that God is God. We are not, so we trust God more in our work. And then number two, and this one's the obvious one, but let's not miss it. Rest also brings us strength. And so I love that you, thank you once again that our church gave me, and we're going to give Pastor John one next summer, an 11-week sabbatical. A, a, a season of Sabbath, we've been here nine years, okay? Most churches do like a seven-year, but it's just church planting. So we've been here for nine years. For John, it'll be 10 years by the time he gets his first sabbatical. But, but just to unplug, not just so that, I, I praise God, I'm coming back better spiritually and emotionally and relationally and physically this year. But the goal of a sabbatical is for that long road of endurance that is saying it's not just about 2019 and 2020, but it's about 20, 30, 40, and 50. We rest to 
endure and keep running the race that God has set before us. And so we rest in our work, from our work to do. without striving. When we practice rhythms of rest, we can find rest, not just from our work, but rest in our work. And this happens. This happens only through Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus says it right here in verse 28. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And so all of this, all of this vision for receiving rest as a gift from God, to be refreshed by God and to enjoy more of God, it happens as we come to him. And so I just want to invite you, by the invitation of Jesus, when he says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me, all who are weary and carry burdens, and I will give you rest. This is the invitation of Christ to you. Maybe you are discovering who he is for the first time, and you're saying, I want this rest for my soul. I want to experience rest in my life. I want to be freed from all of the anxieties and cares that weigh me down. To have peace with God and peace with those around me. That happens when we come to Jesus. But not just for the first time. But day after day after day, we just keep coming to him. And we experience the life that he's designed for us. So listen, I don't know what pushing pause looks like for you. But I know that you are going to be a healthier person in Christ. And consequently, we will be a healthier church. As we learn to push pause, as we learn to come to him again and again and again, to live the lives that he's called us to. Let's pray together. Father, we, we ask that you would help us to see what this looks like in each one of our lives. God, perhaps we even now just need to confess that we're too enslaved to our schedules, that we work too much after work, that we put our ambitions above the people who matter most in our lives, and God, we put our own selfish ambitions above you. So God, help us to confess that today, to find the freedom of forgiveness at the cross, to come to you again and again and experience the rest that you want to give us internally that will manifest itself externally. 
Oh God, I pray that we as a church would learn how to work hard but rest well so that our relationships can be better, so that we can enjoy this world that you've made all the more, so that we can live out the why that you've given us in our vocational spheres, in all of the, the spheres of our lives. God, we need grace for this. We need your help. We pray for it in the name of Jesus.